With us today is Grady Gibbs sharing how doctors can avoid burnout and create a better staff and patient experience. Welcome to Portfolio Pulse, the money podcast for medical professionals and entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Stephen Husky, owner of Husky Financial Consulting and Wealth Management. Our goal is to help leaders accumulate wealth and empower them to build the life they deserve. Each week, we interview a purpose-driven leader or medical professional that is building a thriving business with community impact. We ask tough questions, learn the habits they practice to build successful careers, and discover a secret they can pass on to help others build their businesses. It's time to talk money, meaning, and maximum impact. All right, folks, thank you so much for joining me today on Portfolio Pulse podcast, the money podcast for medical professionals and entrepreneurs. Today, you're in luck. We have Grady Gibbs with us today of Evolve Medical Consulting. I want to talk to you really quickly before I introduce him about the power of LinkedIn. If you are not on LinkedIn, you are missing out. I know there's these new things called Clubhouse and there's Facebook and all those things, but LinkedIn is where professionals get together to connect, learn, engage, encourage, and talk to one another. And that's how I met Grady. We were um, in the same type of professional groups. You know, we both serve the medical communities and we got to talking and had a few Zoom meetings. So Zoom again, the power of, you know, technology and how that works. But uh, we really enjoy each other's company. I thought he would be great for you, the listeners, to understand what he brings to the community. And just a quick background on Grady Gibbs here. He is a Rice graduate. He's from Texas. He is a former investment banker and commercial finance professional. He ran the telecom group for JD Power and Associates. I don't know if you've heard about them. They're, they're pretty big. And he also worked in brand strategy for some of the largest advertisers in the United States. What he does for Evolve is he has strategic relationships that he builds, and he is the management team for that. And he's also a 20-year veteran of healthcare serving doctors. So Grady, with that, I appreciate you being with us. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, absolutely. So can you give us a brief rundown about Evolve Medical Consulting and what you're bringing to the world? Okay. Um, We are, as the name implies, a consulting practice, and uh, we, we get paid through distribution but we provide the consulting work as a way of supporting clients. So everything for us kind of starts from what the issues are in a practice, what the objectives of the practice ownership are, and then we kind of help them solve those problems. A lot of times that doesn't involve things that we sell or, or get compensated for in any way, but uh, obviously there are always going to be, some, there's always going to be something that we can help a practice with that will result in us getting paid. My CEO's perspective on it all is we take care of the clients and the money takes care of itself. Uh, and, and feel free to quote her on that because I do on a regular basis. So well, that's a great mantra to have, especially in any business. If you're not not out for your uh, betterment of the clients that you serve, then really the money's not going to come at all. So great. That's right. So what can you tell us a little bit more about your own background? I did mention quite a few great uh, characteristics about you, but give us a little bit more background on you, Grady. Okay. Um, my, My background on getting into healthcare, I had gone back to graduate school in political science, which was very much focused on statistics and game theory. It was all math. It wasn't wasn't government, right? It was it was political science, and was teaching statistics and all of that, and wound up leveraging that statistics background into the JD Power job, where we were consulting on how to improve the customer experience, and wound up getting hired by a brand strategy firm to be the quantitative guy. And so what I did is worked on the strategy, but I also kind of 
simultaneous translator between the creative guys at the ad agency and the CFO, CEO kind of people at our clients who wanted quantification. They wanted to understand ROI and is this working kind of thing. And the creative guys are over there, you know, like, hey, but the work looks great. <laughs> you know, and the CFO's like, yeah, but is it, is, are we getting a return on our money? And I was kind of that guy in the middle who could talk to both, to both sides. We wound up launching a drug for a major drug company did the strategy around the direct-to-consumer campaign. And we put about 3 million people on this drug in 90 days. Wow. And in the one of the follow-up meetings, I, at the time, had no healthcare background. And I, I, I know now what I was asking for is a CPT code. I didn't know then what that was called. But I asked the question, you know, what do doctors get paid for writing these new prescriptions? Because there's a, you know, there's a fair amount of work involved in educating the patient about what you're doing for them, how to take the drug, what to do, what not to do, all the contraindications and so forth, writing the prescription. I just assumed there was some way the doctor got to bill for that. And the drug company guys all laughed at me like I was an idiot, which I guess, <laughs> in all <laughs> fairness, I was. But they were laughing at me and they made this comment of like, this is the doctor's calling. This is their duty to do these prescriptions. They owe it to the patient to do this work and nobody pays them for this. And my immediate insight was somebody needs to work for the doctor and not the drug company. Here I am 20 years later, I've been working for doctors ever since. So you're an advocate for the doctors making money so that they can help their patients more effectively and understand the pricing behind what they're doing for their clients. Exactly. We, we focus everything on what we call our version of the triple aim, which means it has to be good for the patient, good for the system, and good for the doctor. And by good for the system, we're talking about uh, things that save money in the long run right? In other words, taking better care of the patient now, less expensive in the long run. So in regards to what you're doing with Evolve, tell us what makes this unique. Is there any competitors out there doing exactly what you're doing and what, how do you differentiate yourself from them? Um, the, the things that we distribute, the services and products that we distribute, clients can get anywhere. There, there's always other options. What we probably do differently from anyone else is we do the consulting piece where a client will say, I've got a question about what's the best way to go for an, a new EMR as an example. We don't sell EMRs. We don't take referral fees from EMR companies. We're able to sit down and just be completely objective with the client about what's going to work best for them. You know, analyze the pain points, make a recommendation about ways they should solve that problem without getting bogged down in the conflict of interest. Got it. Thank you so much for sharing that. I appreciate it. So no. as you know, this is a podcast geared towards medical professionals and those business owners. So, you know, since you're in the medical profession, what are some lessons that you'd like to share to others in this same field? I think the single biggest overlooked piece, um, I'm going to back up a second and say, as a JD Power guy and, and my future son-in-law is a user experience designer in the software field, and they call that UX, right? So we kind of coined the PX for the patient experience, which, you know, as a JD Power guy, I'm all about customer satisfaction. So in this case, patient satisfaction, I understand how to track that, how to work to, to make that better. But what everyone tends to overlook in healthcare is the staff X or the staff experience. So whether you're selling capital equipment or consulting to doctors or selling EMRs or whatever it is you're doing to help a practice, most companies ignore the, the effect on workflow for the staff, how much is time commitment they're going to put into something. 
um, and just frankly, how big a pain in the butt it's going to be to implement your recommendations. So we have experienced that the best solutions are the ones that benefit workflow rather than complicate it or at a minimum have no effect on workflow. So there are things you can do that like just don't affect the staff, that's fine. Things that help the staff run more smoothly always lead to better patient satisfaction and better outcomes for the doctor. An example of that is when you look at most reviews online about a practice and how they're doing, it's very rarely about the doctor's care. Although sometimes it's, you know, bad bedside manner kind of comment, but for the most part, it's it's rude staff, um, inattentive staff, late getting to an appointment type of complaints. And a lot of that's related to being overworked, having too many busy work jobs going on that they're not able to focus on that patient and give them the time that they need. And that dings the the practice overall in terms of attracting new patients. I've been talking about this for a while. That's some great points you mentioned there. And I think there needs to be a systemic change in the way that healthcare is given to its patients. I feel like a lot of the, especially the primary care physicians, you know, they're, they're stuck in this wheelhouse where they're seeing patient after patient after patient, they don't even have the time to go eat some lunch. You know what I mean? So they maybe spend five to 10 minutes with each patient that's in there. And that's why you're sitting in there in the waiting room for 45 minutes. And it feels like your model helps those doctors kind of stray away from that and more, more so focus on the patient experience also while helping the doctors make the most of their time. Absolutely. Um, one of the, one of the things that you, you have to focus on is, yeah, it may only be 10 minutes with the patient, but a lot of times the doctor spending another 20 to 30 minutes on the busy work related to that 10 minutes with the patient. So yes, being able to reduce the workflow a little bit, reduce the workload a little bit. Uh, we call it the hamster wheel. You know, you're trying to spin that hamster wheel fast enough to pay the bills. And frankly, the the CPT codes 99211 through 99215, which are the various types of office encounters. If your practice is billing that and that's how you're trying to pay the bills, you've got a recipe for burnout (laughs) and poor financial outcomes and ultimately poor patient outcomes. Because again, you're having to spin that hamster wheel so fast and so hard that the doctor burns out, staff's overworked and grumpy, patients aren't getting the attention they need, nobody's winning. And that for us is one of those mind shifts that we have to get clients to understand like it's okay to make money because the money allows you to either bring in the technology that simplifies your life, bring in the extra help that you need, reduce the workflow so that you don't see so many patients, whatever that looks like for that particular client, we get them to better patient experience and of course, better financial outcomes for the doctor. I have to agree with you there. It's those that are stressed out by money, you can tell, you know, they're walking around, they're not sure what's going on. Maybe they're trying to code particular procedures or patient visits a specific way. Maybe it makes them more money, you know, who knows, but it's the same thing in in my field too, is you can tell when you're dealing with a financial planner or an advisor who has commission breath, right? As far away from them as possible uh, because they are hungry and they're most likely because they're in that situation, they're they're not going to do what's best for the, for the the client or in your case, the patient. So that, what that model looks like, you're, you're totally right. And I, you know, I saw this thing on LinkedIn that you posted, I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks ago, and I, it resonated with me and I wanted to bring it up today because I like to talk about it. You had this guy named Deming that you were talking about. And there were three things that I took away from your conversation. And the first one is, if you don't have time to do it right, when will you have time to fix it? Right. Yep. That was the first thing. Why not just do it right the first time? Because when are you going to go back and fix that thing? 
Secondly is change is not necessary because survival is not mandatory. <laughs> that, that was one of my favorite cool. quotes. One of my favorite quotes. And then my favorite one, the one that I took away that really helped me change the way that I'm thinking about all the activities that I'm doing to try to broadcast my knowledge and education to others is you manage what you measure. And if you're not measuring what it is that you're doing, how can you actually manage it? That's so, exactly right. So who, who told you these principles? Um, you know, do you live by these principles? And, and how can doctors running their own practices or helping clients or patients use these principles to better their, their business? Good. Okay. Thanks for that question. Um, I totally give credit to W. Edwards Deming himself for all three of those. Uh, my father worked in manufacturing um, for a big electronics company based here in Texas that's uh, synonymous with calculators and semiconductors, right? We won't mention the name, but they did build a lot of electro electronic instruments, if that gives you any hints. <laughs> and my dad was, a, was mentored by W. Edwards Deming himself. Uh, dad was doing zero defect manufacturing back in the 70s before anybody had ever heard of such a thing. And he raised us with those concepts, among others, uh, but he raised us with those concepts in terms of how we, how we went about our life. And so to, to that end, what we do in the, in the process of helping a client, the initial piece is that discovery call to figure out what, what that client's issues are, where they're trying to go. We take, I think, very similar to the way you do it. We're taking that holistic view of the big picture for the client and for everybody, it's a little bit different. But then we start with, here are the things we're going to measure and track and we man manage the and track the progression of these goals in the same way that a doctor tracks progression of a disease, right? If you're a diabetic at 50, you're going to be a different diabetic at 60 and a different diabetic at 70. And the doctor's watching that progress, right? Same way you do with your financial plan, where you start a client at 50 is going to be totally different picture than when they get to 60 or when they get to 70. And we do the same sort of approach with what we're doing in terms of tracking those numbers on behalf of the client and helping them stay focused on the things that are moving them to their objectives. And like I say, everybody's got a little bit different objectives. Some people, it's more about reducing the workload and not being so stressed, having more time for their family and hobbies and working on their marriage, that sort of thing. Others, it's like, hey, I don't mind the workload, but I just need to make a lot more money, get my student loans paid off. <laughs> so, well, exactly. So that's going to always, always going to lead to slightly different sort of recommendations of what we start with, what we emphasize and so forth. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. I just really liked that post. That was great. Well, you know, we're going to talk about money just a little bit here. You know, we have to, it's a money podcast. So let's talk about money. So as we know, money is a tool. What is the hardest lesson that you've learned about money in business? Probably that profitability is a lot less important than cash flow. And it's one of those things that if I can build a widget for $5 and sell it for 50, that's a nice profit margin. But if I build it today for $5 and I can't sell it for that 50 until next year, I'm tying up that $5 as I go and I go broke before I can get to the to the collection of the money. It's hard sometimes to think about, but sometimes it's less about going for things that have high margin and going for things that turn the dollars faster so that you can keep the bills paid while you're waiting for the higher margin thing to pay off. That's okay. been a that's been a tough lesson. And then in the in the healthcare arena, something I've noticed, we segment doctors based on attitudes and types of problems and where their issues are. And we've identified a type of client we cannot help. And if we meet them, we thank them for their time and move on. 
And it's a small group, but there's a group of doctors out there who wear their burnout like a medal of honor. They're proud of the fact that they suffer. They love the fact that they're miserable and they wallow in the fact that they've worked their whole lives to get to this place and they're making less money than some of the reps that call on them. And when they take pride in that and view money as an evil and, you know, my calling is to, is to suffer and be a martyr, we can't help that guy. We just can't. And again, we thank them for their time, but we move on. The doctor who can make that mind shift and say, you know what, making a little better money for me allows me to make the changes that I need to take better care of my patients. It's sort of like the airplane analogy. You got to put your own oxygen mask on first before you help the person next to you. You know, if you're burned out, if you're stressed, if you're worried about money, you're not giving the best to your patients. So let's change that aspect and provide that better care to the patient. I'm slowly learning that in my own practice too. I was just talking to one of my colleagues today. It's like, man, I need my Fridays to be my focus days or my or my buffer days because I feel like in this practice it's it's kind of exploded. I mean, since you know, since COVID. I was doing pretty well, uh, helping a lot of clients, getting business from them. And then COVID hit and I had to totally 180 my entire direction of how I was trying to acquire clients. There were no more networking events anymore. There, there, there were no different organizations meeting. And so I'm like, what am I going to do? I, it allowed me to get my brainchild out there. I, I'd always wanted to have my own business. Um, I, 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 my, I, my agency that I work for gives me the ability to do that, the firm that I'm at. And uh, so I'm, I'm very thankful for that opportunity. But now that I have this business coming in and the amount of clients that I'm seeing, I need help. And I'm, you know, I've, I've hired my wife as my part-time assistant. She's been super, super helpful. And I, I love having her on the team. I've got a couple other advisors that want to do uh, some of my business with me and help my clients. And I really, really enjoy helping those people, but you have to have the time away so you can step back and, and see what you're doing, measure what you're doing, but also have some time for yourself. Because if you don't, that, that, that life work balance that we talk about is just not going to be there. And you know what, as bad as you burning out or being miserable is, you're not responsible for the healthcare of 2000 patients. So for a doctor, it's that much more important that they take care of themselves and have a good quality of life and a good financial picture so that they can bring their best to that encounter every day. You know, I say this on a regular basis, until you've either scrubbed in for surgery or strapped on a stethoscope and walked into an exam room to treat a patient, you just don't really get how complicated and stressful healthcare is, right? As a, I'm talking about for the doctor. And if you're walking into that exam room and you're not your best, you're, you're letting that patient down. So again, if you're, if you're glorifying the fact that you're suffering and miserable and hate your life, I can't help you. But if you recognize that maybe you're not at your best because you have those stresses, we can help solve those stresses and bring you that best life, which then affects those patients. You might want to give them a, a business card for a therapist. That might, that might help. A <laughs> I'm all about, you know, talking about your, your mental health. There's no reason to have a stigma around that, but you know, you got to talk it out with other people or else you will be miserable and the people won't want to be around you. Your patients probably won't like it either. Exactly. So, you know, what are the attitudes that most hold doctors back? You talked about this one person that you're talking about, these types of doctors. What are the types of attitudes that are, are holding these doctors back? Um, I think another really big problem 
is viewing healthcare as something that gets reimbursed by an insurance company. In other words, it's not healthcare unless I can bill a payer for it. But if you turn, if you turn to the other side of the exam room, right, don't, don't just stand there with your stethoscope, hop up on the exam table and look at healthcare the way a patient looks at it. Health club memberships, massage, uh, nutraceuticals, right? All of these things are healthcare spending to the patient. So once the doctor's mindset broadens to, it's not just things associated with an ICD-10 code that allows me to bill a CPT code, but it's this broader arena of where my patients are spending money in pursuit of wellness and pursuit of good health, then healthcare is a lot bigger bucket of money, which allows for a lot of the strategies that we will develop around building that income without building up the workload. In other words, most doctors think making more money means seeing more patients and I'm already burning out. I'm already like, I'm already working crazy hours. I don't have no free time. I have no life. How on earth am I going to make more money by seeing more patients? And the reality is it's more about this shift to here's this huge bucket of money from the patient's perspective of healthcare. And yes, you're over here in this important piece of it, but you're leaving all the rest of this untouched. And that's where, that's where the mind shift happens. So are you saying that these doctor practice owners, they need to be having essentially like a spa experience for their clients, come in and get some smoothies with green. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, not, not like that. I, I mean, obviously in a, in the direct primary care model, doctors can, can do that. You can put a waterfall in the waiting room and spend an hour with the patient because they're paying a subscription. And that's why I like DPC. And for certain, for certain personalities, that is the perfect way to practice medicine. But for any doctor being able to extend that little bit more time having to see fewer patients, having to not having to spin that hamster wheel quite so fast allows them to take better care of that patient while taking better care of themselves. This idea of the bigger bucket, as an example, one out of four Americans is taking CBD. And yet most, most medical practices don't dispense CBD because frankly, most of the stuff that's out there is garbage. It's got contamination in it. It's mislabeled, meaning the potency claimed on the label is three times what's actually in the product, right? And then the, the CBD itself is not absorbable into the system. Well, there's now pharmaceutical grade CBD that's only available from a healthcare professional. Why aren't practices looking at that and saying, hey, my patients are spending this money. Why not offer it, them the opportunity to get a quality product and let me make a buck out of that? That's not a bad thing. And honestly, even if you're not wild about dispensing nutraceuticals and CBD and some of these things, what you can look at it as the Hippocratic Oath. First, do no harm. Your patients are being harmed either through wasting money or actually physically being harmed by a contaminant in their nutraceuticals and CBD that you're going to protect them from. Either way, the doctor benefits from that. The patient gets better care. You're not taking any money out of Medicare or the, or the payer system. So everybody's winning. It's the triple aim. Good for the patient. Good for the system. Good for the doctor. I like that. Everybody wins. It's Yeah, it sounds really simple. And, and the truth is, it really is simple. It makes sense. It's really not that complicated. You don't want your doctor to not make money because they won't be in business to help you. Exactly. You want them to make enough to where they can you know, have plenty of patients and, and you don't feel like they're just sucking you dry. Like You want them to make sure 
sure that they're taking care of you. They have the support to do so and they can pay their people and have good staff. I mean, I, I think that's important. Absolutely. We, we, we have uh, fairly regular conversations about the nutraceutical space with clients. And, you know, the, the analogy is ask a patient how much they smoke. Most people start in with this, oh, you know, half a pack a day, maybe pack a day. The doc immediately knows that's a two pack a day smoker, right? The patient's always going to downplay how much they smoke. Well, then you start asking them about OTC supplements and nutraceuticals that they're taking. And the patient typically will answer, oh, you know, um, I, I take a multivitamin. I, every now and then I'll take some fish oil. Well, you know, if you go to that patient's house, look to the right of their toaster, there's like 37 bottles of supplements. They're spending hundreds of dollars a month on garbage that isn't the potency promised on the label. It's contaminated with lead and mercury and pesticides, right? And the docs aren't addressing that. It's so easy to add nutraceuticals to the practice without any, like having, you don't have to become a salesman. You don't have to pitch it. You don't have to sit there and do long consults on nutrition. Just make it available and let people buy the stuff that they're normally buying at whole paycheck. I mean, whole foods, right? <laughs> let them, let them shift those dollars from whole foods or God forbid Walmart, which is the crappiest products on the planet, rather than buy their nu nutritional products, they're buying from their doctor. The patient gets better products. The doc makes some money, which helps alleviate some of these other pressures. Everybody wins. I would say it's even better for the patient because the doctor can advocate and say, hey, your bill is going to be less money spent with me if you use the best nutrition that there is. And I've, I've done my research and I know what it is. And that and that support is there from these quality uh, physician-only nutraceutical brands. They'll show you, they'll give you the, the support to, to be able to confidently communicate that to a patient. And of course, that's where Shingu comes in. We do most of that communication for our clients. And in, the, in most cases, the content goes out to the patient, patients educated on their choices, and then they elect to, to act. The doc doesn't ever get into conversations about nutraceuticals. That's all going on on the Shingu platform, and the patients that raise their hands and want to purchase the nutraceuticals do so, and the doctor gets paid for it. It's never, and I think that's one of those fears that they have that, well, if I start selling vitamins, patients are going to want, want me to spend 20 minutes talking about vitamins. Not really. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> you, don't, you, you can't know that's true until you try it, but the good thing is it doesn't cost you anything to try it. Maybe leave some on the counter. They can look at it while they're waiting, you know, those types of things, maybe a brochure. And and, and again, the content sent to their home via Shingu. They're watching information presented in a like an objective way, all about the science, and they either elect to purchase the products or not. The doctor's never into the used car salesman mode. You know what I mean? Honestly, I would never want to ask a client to go there anyway, because I don't want to buy a used car from my doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no one likes a hard sell. I get that. That's right. So, you know, I, I ask a couple questions <laughs> to finish up any of these episodes. And so what is your purpose, Grady, and lasting legacy that you want to leave in your community? I have zero medical training. Um, I got a life-saving merit badge as a Boy Scout, and that's the extent of my medical training. But there is just this tremendous satisfaction that comes from helping the people who help patients we can look at direct benefit that we brought to patients to the point of saving lives. Like I can directly point to lives that have been saved, not by me, that's the doctor's job, but the support I gave the doctor enabled that to happen and that patient's life was saved. 
you know, in the case of thousands of patients, their lives are better. And honestly, I can't think of anything more satisfying for a guy like me to do. You know, I, uh, I'm a statistician by training. Pants do go all the way to my shoes. So don't worry about that. But, you know, I'm not, yeah, I got the, I got the pocket protector. I just never wear it. But yeah, I mean, I'm not a guy who's out there saving lives in the ER kind of guy. I'm, that's never me. But I can also point to hundreds of doctors, thousands of doctors now who are benefiting from what we do, which means they've made a major difference in their patients' lives. That little bit of reflected glory on me is is just hugely satisfying and it gets me out of bed in the morning. That's a great I joke. I, I joke if I won the, you know, people always ask, you know, like, what would you do if you won the lottery? I'd get them to go to work. I would too. I love, I love what I do. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't work for money. I work for, I work for what I believe in and the passion that I feel for it. And, and, uh, and honestly, I'm making up for all those prescriptions, those doctors wrote that they didn't get paid for, you know, I'm 20 years in, I figure I got about 20 more to go and I'll have made a, made my penance for that sin. There you go. And, you know, if we can educate around the right types of prescriptions to take versus all these opiates that were pushed for so long, I think that that's an honor. Yeah. So, well, man, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can we find you? Um, best place is Evolve Medical Consulting. Uh, my email is, is Grady at EvolveMedicalConsulting.com or connect with me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, it's been a joy talking with you. I know that patients and doctors uh, are going to be happy to hear from you and learn what you do. And, and if we can do anything for you personally from the show, you let us know. Okay. You got it. I appreciate it. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us today for the Portfolio Pulse podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us today on Portfolio Pulse. If you found this helpful and think others deserve to hear about us as well, please like, subscribe, and share us across any platform on social media or your podcast platform of choice. That's it for today. Remember to be happy, stay healthy, and tune in next time to remain financially fit. This podcast is for information purposes only. Michael Stephen Husky is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PASS, OSJ, 6115 Park South Drive, Suite 200, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28210, 704-552-8507. Securities products and advisory services offered through PASS, member FINRA and SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. PASS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Husky Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PASS or Guardian. Grady Gibbs and Jingu are not affiliated with or endorsed by PASS, Guardian, or Husky Financial and opinions are stated are their own.